0: Welcome to the From Hangovers to Happiness podcast. My name is Arielle Diamond. You can find me at Compass on Instagram. This podcast is to help you step into your power and discover that you truly matter, my friend. If you are considering sobriety, want to start living a life without alcohol, or just wanna hear some great recovery advice, then this is the podcast for you. Let's go. Welcome 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 my friends this is Arielle Diamond I am the CEO of My Sober Compass and host of this amazing new podcast and I am really excited to deliver you non-sugar coated content about the realities of alcohol addiction rehab options and ultimately how to get a grip on your life I will tell you this straight up front If you are dealing with alcohol, if you are trying to shed a habit, if you are just sick and tired of being sick and tired, in the beginning stages, it is going to be hard, but finding recovery and solace from alcohol is absolutely going to be worth it. And my goal throughout every single episode that I do with you is to deliver you content that gives it to you straight. Today's episode we are going to focus all about my story with alcohol because I find there is so much value in sharing our stories between each other and also maybe you guys can learn from some of my personal mistakes that I made. My life, my story, everything about me is complex but it is quite simple at the very same time and there is one reason for this. My one great overarching theme is that I was in a problematic relationship with alcohol for an extreme amount of time and this very relationship changed the entire course of my life. I am recording to you live from British Columbia, Canada and I'm originally from Washington, DC. Never in a million years did I think that my recovery journey would have me cross the northern border up to Canada and live in a province that I had never even stepped foot inside of. Recovery has given me so many amazing gifts. Uh, I'm sitting here recording. I've got my two dogs right next to me. I've got my fiance downstairs. I have an amazing life in British Columbia, a life that I honestly never thought possible. So I'm going to start at the very beginning and tell you about my story and tell you about how I ended up in BC, tell you why I'm here, why I'm even talking to you about this. Um, and I think you're going to find certain parts really interesting. And if you're listening and you want to send me a message after, this is just a reminder. Anyone can message me at any time at on Instagram and my handle is at mysobercompass, no spaces. I would love to hear from you. So let's get to it. I like to think of everyone having a relationship with alcohol at some point in their lives. And my relationship with alcohol was quite long. Uh, I started drinking in 2005, and here I am talking to you in 2020. So I have been in a 15-year relationship with alcohol, if you will. I have been sober for over five years now, and I am just living a life that I'm extremely grateful for. But in the beginning, this is what I wanna start with. I wanna start with the beginning. How did I even get started drinking, and what did that look like? Well, I started drinking my first day of freshman year at Villanova University. I know, kind of cliche, right? I was that girl who watched her parents get in the van and drive away after helping me set up my dorm room and I marched my little booty upstairs and I started drinking that very night. I decided that since everyone else was going to be drinking during the duration of university that so was I and I can tell you the moment that I had my very first sip of alcohol it was this momentous moment. I felt like the entire world was complete. I had a warm substance in my body. My brain started to slow down. And I thought, wow, I love this feeling. And I'm going to be drinking for a very long time. And so that's, that was the moment. That was the moment that I met alcohol. And I was in a sort of a honeymoon period with alcohol during my four years at Villanova. I made some really bad decisions like alcohol and i fought if you will (laughs) throughout this honeymoon period if you think of it as any relationship i made bad decisions i had blackouts i shook the next day i had really intense hangovers but i just chalked it up to well i'm a college kid this is the this is what people do this is the normal reality of life and i don't have a problem this is what everyone else is doing but when i graduated Alcohol started to creep in even more. And I remember graduation day at Villanova. I was really sad, I was depressed. I didn't want to leave school. School was this wonderful place where, yeah, I did some work, but I also did a lot of partying. And at Villanova, a lot of uh, my friends that I went to school with, they went back up to New York City or New Jersey. That's where most of them were from, and they had jobs lined up or schooling, masters schooling or law school lined up. And not me. I graduated with a marketing degree and I was searching desperately for a job outside of Washington, D.C., which is where I was from. And I was really mourning the loss of my college experience. But I had people tell me that, you know, Ariel, when you graduate, you're not going to be drinking as much. Don't worry. This is just a phase. It's going to stop. But it didn't. And I graduated and I started working in sales jobs around the D.C. area at startups, at really young companies where a lot of cold calling was being done and a lot of drinking was being done. And my drinking career even escalated further than I thought it was possible. And I started drinking even more than I had at university to cope with the realities of adulting, to just cope with life, to cope with breakups. I mean, I coped however I could with alcohol. And what this also looked like was I started filling my social calendar with everything that revolved around drinking. Monday night football, I'd go to the bar with some friends and watch the football game, even though I don't really like football. Tuesday night, I'd go and play beer pong or beer league downtown at a bar. Wednesday, I'd have wine night, Harry Potter wine night with friends. Thursday would be a go out night, thirsty Thursday. They had dollar drinks at a pub downtown. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would always be drinking and it was just what party, who could I go see, where would it be, how can we get this lined up, boom, boom, boom. And I loved staying busy because now looking back on it, I really didn't have to absorb the re- my personal reality, which was that I was really unhappy in my own skin. I did not feel confident as a person. I was suffering emotionally from past trauma that I had been through and I didn't have a clue of how to feel my feelings and process them in a healthy way. So alcohol stepped in and took over for me in that regard. And the more that I party and the more socially, uh, more social activities that I had around alcohol, my friends started to notice. And I had some I have some really close, wonderful friends in DC that do not have a problem with alcohol. and and they were so caring and loving and called me out for some of my bullshit for lack of a a better term, that I started to separate from them. I did not want people around that started to question my drinking patterns. I didn't even want to have the discussion. And at 24 years old, I made the decision that I was going to start to hide my alcohol use. I didn't want anyone to question me. I didn't want conflict. I just wanted to do my thing at the time and continue drinking. But what was happening was, as the more that I was drinking, the more that my consequences were starting to increase. For example, I would... The company that I worked for, the startup company, was wonderful. I made lots of money. You know, There was young people around me all the time. And happy hours were a staple at this company. And I remember the stress that I would get when we'd get an email talking about a free open bar happy hour downtown. I would start to stress because I never ever could control myself the way that I wanted to after I'd have that first drink. That first drink, to me, would be game on. Zero to 60, as soon as alcohol was in my in my body, dripped down my esophagus into my belly, that off switch of control went away. I really never had one. And so these happy hours would start to psych me out because, yeah, I really wanted to keep my jobs. I did not want to make a fool of myself. I did not want to... Uh, embarrass myself in front of other people. And it took me a few goes at this to start to blacklist company events. The other thing that would really mess with me in the corporate space was the startup that I worked at, the second one, they had a beer cart. And the beer cart would go around around three o'clock every day. And I remember having a moment sitting at my desk and taking the beer cart and just stuffing beers into my drawer. And my, the lady who worked next to me saw me and she didn't say anything, but I could see it in her eye and it was a, what the fuck are you doing? Kind of look like, why do you need to store beer in your desk, Ariel? Uh, And then I started to watch other people and they would, they would have a drink on their desk and they'd sip it so slowly, or they would just have half of a beer. And I wondered how, how are they doing this? How does, how does that work for them? But for me, I, I am not happy with half a beer. I'm actually mortified that they're leaving half of their beer on their desk. And then I became obsessed with trying to moderate my drinking. I went to bookstores and bought every single book that I could find on moderation. I looked up the moderation management program. I tried everything that I thought at the time might help me, and you guys are probably going to laugh at this. I used to bring a Sharpie out to the bar with me so that I could write on my hand how many drinks I would have and tally them and try and keep it to under six, six drinks. That never worked. I would only bring a certain amount of cash with me out in the bar so that I didn't I wasn't uh, tempted to overspend and buy other people drinks and buy myself drinks. You know, a $200 tab was not anything crazy for me. So I'd bring 30, 40 bucks. That didn't work because then I'd have to start to other people and ask for them to buy me drinks. I would also try this guessing game of, okay, well, if I just have red wine today and then I have beer tomorrow and I never have vodka, then maybe I'll be okay. And then the other thing I did was I used to mix water in my wine, which was so disgusting when I think about it. But I was so desperate to just try and manage alcohol because it did something for me. I didn't know at the time, but alcohol was doing something for me. It wasn't a, I was weak as a person. I didn't have good willpower. Alcohol provided a couple of really key things for me. And one of those was it numbed me emotionally. I didn't have to constantly obsess and think when I was drinking. It kind of slowed my brain down. It also uh, gave me an escape. I didn't have to focus on the worries of my adult life, my bills, uh, who I pissed off before, uh, all of those Those pieces I didn't have to worry about when I was drinking. And so there was a reason why I was trying to pick up all the time. There was a reason why I was trying to manage it. And I was really pushing hard to keep alcohol around. And so I decided maybe I'm just unhappy because of my job. Maybe I'm just unhappy because cold calling is not what I wanna do with my life. And it really wasn't what I wanted to do with my life, but it wasn't the problem. And I used my job as the problem. And I remember the, <laughs> the one day, so we were uh, at the one job that I had, we were mandated to call between 50 to 100 people a day, and they kept track of our phones. And my boss at the time brought me into his office and he said, hey, Ariel, so we just need to have a quick chat. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. He said, well, you know how we log your calls here? I said, "Yep, yeah, yep, sure do. You have called one person this week. And my expectation for you is that you have made at least 250 phone calls. And I looked up at him and I was so hungover. I remember this day and I just said, I think I'm I'm done with cold calling. I think that I need to change careers. We shook hands. It was a good farewell. And off I walked. I walked. I was working downtown in Chinatown. I walked to the metro and I just had the biggest smile on my face because I thought... Yes, I've got this. I am going to be happy from now on. I packed my bags. I went with my boyfriend at the time. We went to Europe for a couple of months where I could find myself again, except when I was traveling, backpacking around Europe, I think we went to seven or eight different countries. Alcohol followed me there. And I made the entire trip all about drinking and partying and numbing myself and... I feel really bad for who I was with because I know that he had other plans for that trip. And when we finished a trip, I came home and I made this decision of, I'm going to switch careers. I'm going to get into event planning. This is going to be way more fun. It's going to fulfill me in my entire life. It's a great way for me to move forward. So I went back to school to George Washington University, got my event planning certificate, And then I started doing something cool, which was working for myself. I started to align with all these different really high up event planners in the DC area. I did anything from weddings to corporate gatherings to retreats, uh, huge galas downtown at the convention center. And I thought that I was living this amazing life. And the work schedule, I worked crazy hours in this job and I would just drink on my off days for a bit. I kind of slowed down a little bit because my career started to take off. And then I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be cool to just get a full-time gig where I don't have to worry about who, who I want to work for on this day and that day. And I found this wonderful company in Alexandria, Virginia, who's, who offered me a job to do international event planning. And I remember walking out of the interview and I thought, oh my gosh, if I get this job, I have made it. I went home to celebrate and there was the email the next day. They were interested in hiring me and that next week I was off on a plane to France. My event planning career for this company was amazing. I mean, I really got to plan so many different types of events. I was on a plane every other week, whether it was somewhere in the US or somewhere in Europe, and I truly felt happy in my career. But what people were not seeing or realizing is at the same time that I got this job, my alcohol addiction started to really dig its claws deeper into me. As my stress level went up, So did my drinking. It was this weird correlation that I really wasn't aware of. But after a stressful day at work, I would go home and pound wine or pound beer. And I didn't have to be around anyone else to drink anymore. I started becoming this alone drinker. And then on the weekends, I would go out and party. And I felt truly like I was living a lie. I was this Jekyll Hyde, two-sided person and I was so worried that other people would start to find out that the person that they worked with, the person that they saw at lunch or dinner, the person that, they, that was smiling when they were out and about, this was not who I was. Because on the inside, I was actually crumbling. I was having panic attacks daily. I would sometimes have to get up to, from my desk and go to the bathroom and just have a panic attack at work. I was truly uncomfortable in my own skin. I felt lost, I felt angry, I felt confused, and the more that I felt those things, which was a daily grind, the more that I was driven to drink, and I became this shell of a human being. So yes, on paper, it looked like I had it all together. I had the job, I had a great apartment, I had a car, I had wonderful friends, but on the inside, my reality was extremely different, and I was a ticking time bomb and I had no idea I just I remember one day I looked at myself in the mirror and just said well you know this is okay this is your life Ariel. it's going to be this way where you're not truly happy but it's enough and it's it's actually making me kind of emotional to think about that because it's sad to think that I would have settled for a life where <sighs> blacking out at every night was acceptable And because I was living so far away from my purpose and I was completely out of alignment mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, and spiritually. I was this shell of a person walking around just trying to survive the day-to-day of life. And it started to become very apparent to me that alcohol was not helping me in any regard. So I remember actively then trying to stop drinking. And I didn't really do much about it other than shame myself in my brain. Ariel, you shouldn't drink. Ariel, you shouldn't be doing this. Ariel, you should, should, should. You're weak. You are not enough. You can't, like, it was so negative upstairs in my brain that I couldn't, I was overwhelmed at every turn. And this was honestly exhausting. I felt like, you know when you're exhausted because you've worked a lot? It was much different level of exhaustion. I felt like my soul was tired. <laughs> like, it was so hard for me to get out of bed in the morning. And, oh my goodness. So, I did. One day I had enough. This was in 2014. I decided, you know, this is enough with alcohol. I am truly not gaining anything from this relationship anymore. I want to break up with alcohol. And I woke up, went to my fridge, poured out every single bottle I could find. And I walked back into my room and I said, I'm going to do this. I got this. And, and the positive self-talk started but I didn't have a clue of how to do this. I just thought, yeah, it's just gonna be on willpower and I'm just gonna tell myself that I can do this. And so for the next four months, I continued to do every single thing the same except drink. So I continued to go to bars, but I would have non-alcoholic beer. I continued to hang out with the same people. Even when they were drinking, I would go and hang out with them. I continued to do the same activities. I continued every piece of my life the exact same way, And what happened was that volume of the negative self-talk in my brain was continuing to, to turn up. You should be doing this. You're weak. Why can't you just be happy? It was almost like I tried to shame myself into being happy. And though I wasn't drinking, the two other things started to happen. And this was addiction transference. And I had no idea about addiction transference. I didn't even know what addiction was at this moment in time but I started to download dating apps because I was newly single and then I also started to control my eating. So, yeah, this was not very pretty. Let's start with let's start with the Tinder. <laughs> As a newly single person who just decided to get sober, I downloaded match.com, I downloaded Tinder, I downloaded plenty of fish, and I went on a tear. I was on a mission to find a boyfriend that was going to make me happy on every single level because I was so unhappy with myself. And you better believe I spent hours on Tinder every single day scrolling, looking for men that I thought would be, you know, great a great boyfriend, a great boyfriend material, I should say, and I went for it. There was one day that I spent, it was a Saturday, because I was not going out with my friends, I was not drinking with them, I swiped all of the Washington, D.C. area. And it makes me sad to say this, but you guys, this is the reality. I did not want to sit and think in my own brain, and I thought that swiping was way better than that. And I'm sure some of you can relate to this when you're scrolling through Instagram or scrolling on Facebook. We are scrolling on some level to not think and swiping all of DC. I mean, it's embarrassing, but it was my reality at that point. And you better believe I did not find a boyfriend because I was operating at such a low vibe at that point in my life. I was so unhappy. I was so lost. I was so confused. I have filled with emotions bottled in me that I was not picking the right guys. And I was not finding good boyfriend material. The other thing that was happening was I decided to not eat. I was taking prescribed Adderall and I took, I took it as prescribed. So I thought, yeah, well, this is normal. You know, I have ADD and, and this is fine. And my appetite went out the window. And I think it went out the window too because I was just so preoccupied with trying just not to feel and trying to control things. And eating was one thing that I could control. So in a matter of four or five months, I dropped 40 pounds and you (laughs) better believe those compliments started rolling in. Oh, Ariel, you're looking so good. You've lost weight. What are you doing? What's your magic? And those comments were actually fueling the fire for me to stop eating and my anorexia was flaring up so much at this point in my life. That I just thought, okay, well, you know, I'm getting attention on some level. People are thinking that I'm looking good. So maybe not eating is actually a good thing. But now my brain started to act a bit wonky because I wasn't getting the nutrients that I needed. And I wasn't finding the boyfriend that I wanted. And I was not feeling happy on any level. And this fateful day came where I went on a a date in Alexandria, Virginia, downtown this really nice restaurant and I met this guy who was a marine and I sat down and I immediately felt like something was off. I felt like this was not going to be a good get together. He immediately ordered a drink. I wasn't drinking at that time and I've told this story on my live videos and it still gives me chills but he was so awkward in the beginning and then he he said oh you know i really like your earrings that you're wearing i said oh thanks he said can i can i see them and he he reached his hand out my hair was down and he grabbed a chunk of my hair and he smelled my hair and at that moment i just said fuck this and i rose my hand way up in the air and i started waving to the waiter and i said come over here i need a drink right now And I ordered a bottle of wine. I slammed it and I walked out the door and I thought, if this is what sobriety is, I do not want any part of it. I am done with sobriety. (laughs) And off I went. And for six more months, I went on a tear with alcohol and it came back worse than it ever had been before. It was like this monster inside of me was like, oh my goodness, Ariel, like now we have permission to drink. Let's do this and things started to snowball. My work started to become unmanageable. I, I couldn't show up. <sighs> I was showing up so hungover the next days that people were smelling it on my body. Even though I would shower, I'd shower before I went to bed, and when I woke up in the morning, people were smelling it. They, my skin started to turn a bit gray, and oh, I was starting to become really paranoid about my drinking problem. So one fateful weekend, my friend had this birthday. We went day drinking. Oh, it was dark. The bender, I was blacked out for hours and hours. I got home somehow. And then the next morning, on Sunday morning, I woke up and I was face down on my living room floor. And I, I looked around. I was panicked. I didn't know where my phone was. I didn't know where my wallet was. Some of you know this feeling. It was sheer terror. And there were just bottles everywhere. I didn't even know if anyone else was in my apartment at that point. And something inside me said, this is not okay anymore. And I did find my phone and I'd actually written myself a suicide note that just said, I won't read it to you, but essentially my subconscious was trying to tell me that I needed to get my shit together or I was not going to make it much longer. And this little voice inside of me said, tell someone. Just tell someone what is happening. You cannot live this secret anymore, this double life. It is killing you. And so I did. I told one person. And that was honestly, hands down, the hardest thing I ever had to do. Because I was so afraid, even though I had suffered all these consequences, I was so afraid of letting go of alcohol for good. I did not want people to tell me that. But now I knew that I was at a crossroad. And I went to the doctor and I I outed myself. I said, this is how much I'm drinking, you know, three to five bottles of wine a day just to function. And the doctor's face dropped. (laughs) I mean, she couldn't hide it. I I looked in her eyes and like, I I think I saw even a little tear in there. And she just said to me in a very calm demeanor, well... I'm going to recommend that you go to a rehab facility. And my heart and my stomach and everything in me like just sank. Because this meant that I was going to have to put the work in to get well. And I didn't want to put the work in at this time. I just thought, well, maybe she'll give me some meds. Or maybe there will be, you know, this magic once a week thing that I can go to. Or maybe there's a book that she'll recommend. I was not ready for the rehab talk. But there I was and rehab was on the table. And I started a very long detox process, and I was vitamin detoxed, which I do not personally recommend. I did not know about medical detoxes at this point. Uh, Vitamin detox for me was actually quite dangerous, because little did I know, you can go into a seizure from alcohol withdrawal. But I did it nonetheless, and I went into detox. It took me about two weeks to actually start feeling like a human again. I was sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day. And at the same time I was detoxing, I was lining up treatment. And I found this beautiful treatment center across the border in Canada called Top of the World Ranch that was located in British Columbia. And there was a horse on their website and there were mountains in the background. And I thought, heck yeah. I'm going to go to a place that looks like a resort that is going to get me well, but also heal me with nature at the same time. And off I went, this was August 1st, 2015. I enrolled into treatment and my life started to change. And when I got to treatment, I was like a deer in headlights. Honestly, I had no idea what to expect. I was completely out of my body when I walked in and I took on this very early on label of being an ice queen. People thought that because I wasn't talking, I was really snobby. But what was happening was I was freaking terrified. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I definitely didn't want to cry in front of these strangers. And I was feeling really uneasy just about everything in my life. I knew. I knew that thought I was walking in treatment, that my life was messed up. But I didn't even know what they were going to tell me or what they were going to say. And after a few days, my shell started to crack. Those walls that I had built around me for so long started just to come down. And then I became this puddle of a person. I I cried my eyes out. I talked about my feelings openly like I never had before. And all of these things that I had been stuffing deep down inside me started to get the light, see the light of day. And these were things, I mean... I I gotta be honest, like, I was crying about my dog, Max, who died, like, five years prior, who I had never fully processed his grief. There were so many, it was like this layer, there was layers and layers and layers of things that I had never processed. And I didn't just have one counselor, I had three counselors at this treatment center, and they were helping me really start to sort through some deep-seated shit. And... My 30 day stay then turned into a 90 day stay because I was not ready to leave. I was not ready to go back to DC. I was not ready to face life on life's terms. And I knew that I had a lot of work to do to get well. And this was really exciting at the same time because I started to get some momentum and I started to feel little glimpses of happiness and joy. Oh, it was, it was so new for me. It was like walking into brand new territory. And so after 90 days, I decided that I was going to give my chance, myself a real chance at getting well. And I'd made the decision to move to British Columbia. And this was one of the most pivotal decisions I had ever made in my entire life. And I made this decision fully for myself. I had a job waiting for me back in D.C. that would have me travel all around the world again. But I knew that jumping back into that very lifestyle was going to be super tempting for me to pick up that drink again. And so I started to really build a brand new life in British Columbia. And from this point in my life, things really shifted. I now had the control of who I wanted to spend my time with, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to recover, what are the things that I wanted to explore. And life became immensely better. And that first year in recovery, yes, it was extremely hard, but there were also so many payoffs. I didn't have the mental obsession of when am I going to have my next drink next. My body wasn't craving it. Like All of these things that I was so used to now were not as prevalent. And I had time back. I had so much time. And I started to really think about what I wanted to do in my first year of recovery. I went to lots of meetings. I got a sponsor. I got a home group. I did everything that the treatment center told me to do. I got a counselor. And then I felt like I needed more. I needed more support. And I started building a program that really made sense for me. But I also took a look around me and noticed that wow, I'm not the only one struggling to build a program here. There's lots of people that are struggling to build a program. And over time, this gave me, the seed was planted to build my company, My Sober Compass. Because the more time that I got in sobriety, the more gifts that I received, you know, and gifts, what I mean by gifts are deeper human connections, learning to love myself again, setting boundaries against people that really didn't understand boundaries. I mean, the gifts were endless and I started to feel real quality moments of happiness and joy and feeling fulfilled. And even as I'm talking about it, there's like this fire burning in my belly because I want to help as many people as possible also feel this way. Recovery and sobriety is not about just putting down the substance that is tearing us apart. It is about experiencing life to the extreme fullest. It is about having those belly laughs where you can actually remember the belly laughs and really feel happy. It is about meeting people and having deep quality conversation that I never had when I was out at the bar. I, I, uh, I could go on and on, but the point of it is this. I went from the beginning of my relationship with alcohol to thinking that, yeah, alcohol is the shit. It's going to be around. I love it. To alcohol taking almost everything away from me, including my life to now living a life in sobriety and recovery and working in this industry every day to help other people see that a sober life is a beautiful life if we do it right. But it takes work, it takes work. And just as much, like if we think about how much work we put into alcohol, I would spend hours drinking I would spend hours planning when I was gonna drink. I would spend hours driving to that liquor store so I could get that really fancy bottle of red wine that I really wanted a lot of. And now (laughs) I no longer have to live like that, but I am gonna have to put a lot of work into my recovery, which ultimately means I'm gonna have to put quality work into living my best life every single day. And the payoff to that side of it is so much bigger. It is so amazing what we can achieve with a sober mind. And if you are listening to this right now and you're getting some feels, wherever you are at, if you think about your timeline of your relationship with alcohol, wherever you are at in that timeline, if you're starting to question the consequences that are popping up, question them. If you're starting to notice, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I don't have an off switch. That same thing Ariel's talking about where I have that first drink and it's like, what, what's going to happen to me over the next six hours? Do I want to start to break that cycle or interrupt it? Or maybe you're at a point where you're like, oh my God, like I really need to get a, a stop. I need to put a stop to alcohol because it is taking and taking and taking. Recently, I've been talking to people on DMs, my clients. They're, the number one thing that people tell me is that it is affecting their relationship with their partner or their family members because they're not living a truthful life anymore. They're hiding their drinking, and they think that nobody notices, but you better believe that people notice. And a lot of people told me after I got sober, yes, Ariel, we noticed too. So I want you to know that I think that wherever you're at on this timeline, you are amazing, and you deserve to give yourself a chance to start to question your relationship with alcohol. And I want to help you do that. My Sober Compass, we offer lots of different strategies to this, whether you want to do a three-day alcohol-free challenge, a 30-day alcohol-free challenge, you want one-on-one coaching, or you want a support group from My Sober Compass Inner Circle. There are so many different ways that we can approach this depending on where you are at currently. And I want to help you light that fire in your belly. So if you're ready, I would just say check out my Instagram at My Sober Compass. Check us out. See what we're all about. I'm so excited and grateful that you listened to at least part of my story today because I'm hopeful that you can really identify with certain things that I said. And I want to leave you with this. You can change your life at any time you want. And you deserve to change your life. You deserve to wake up with a clear head, to rely on yourself, to trust yourself, to look at yourself in the mirror and truly feel love for yourself. And if you're not there right now, that's okay. You can get there. If I could get there, you can get there. And maybe you don't have to go to rehab or maybe you do and you wanna talk to me about rehab options. I can help you with that. Just know this, you are not alone. Being alone is a choice. And I hope that today, after hearing my voice, you know that I'm a real human who's experienced real problems with alcohol and now wants to actually help real people feel a bit better and a lot better. But if for right now, if all you want to do is feel a bit better, then let's just start a conversation. So send me a message on Instagram at mysobercompass and I would love to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this initial intro episode of my story. I am so excited for the coming episodes and I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thanks for listening to another episode of From Hangovers to Happiness. I want to leave you with this. You matter. If you are struggling with staying sober, please don't give up. 80% of people in their first year of sobriety go back to drinking, and the average amount of times it takes to quit alcohol for good is seven times. I am rooting for you, my friend. Keep pushing forward no matter how hard it gets. You are an incredible and capable human being who deserves so much happiness. If you'd like support, find me at mysobercompass.com. A special thank you to Curb the Kid. You can find him on IG for our amazing music. And also, if you find this podcast helpful, please give it a rating and share it. Have a great day.